The scripture reading today is from Luke 8, 4 through 15. When a great crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from one city after another, he spoke to them in a parable. A farmer went out to scatter his seed. As he was scattering it, some fell on the path where it was crushed, and the birds in the sky came and ate it. Other seed fell on rock. As it grew, it dried up because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorns grew with the plants and choked them. Still other seed landed on good soil. When it grew, it produced 100 times more grain than was scattered. As he said this, he called out, Everyone who has ears should pay attention. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, You have been given the mysteries of God's kingdom. But these mysteries come to everyone else in parables, so that when they see, they can't see, and when they hear, they can't understand. The parable means this. The seed is God's word. The seed on the path are those who hear, but then the devil comes and steals the word from their hearts so that they won't believe and be saved. The seed on the rock are those who receive the word joyfully when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but fall away when they are tempted. As for the seed that fell among thorny plants, these are the ones who, as they go about their lives, are choked by the concerns, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit never matures. The seed that fell on good soil are those who hear the word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart. Through their resolve, they bear fruit. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. We are finishing out our sermon series on the parables, where we talk about the kingdom. You see, Jesus' whole ministry was about the kingdom and bringing us into an awareness of the kingdom of God, which is already and not yet. This invitation into a different way of being, a different way of feeling and living and loving, a different way of organizing our world and our society, prioritizing people and gifting people and providing for all. But because that kingdom is both in us and recognizable to us intuitively, and also so different from the world around us. That's why we called this series The Upside Down. It is so different. It's, it's like and not like. We need these parables to open our imagination to understand what that world could even be like. And so these parables are not straightforward or easy to understand or even have one interpretation. They're invitations into a, an imaginative exercise, a holy imagining of the way that things could be. And today we're finishing with one of Jesus's best known parables, the parable of the sower. This story of a gardener, essentially, scattering seeds across the land in the hopes that it might spring up. When I think of this this parable and this image of God as a cosmic gardener, I think of my friend Renee. I'm not great with plants. I have been known to kill cactuses, and even on the premises at Zao. I mean, I try, and I love it. Um, I found a couple hardy plants that can deal with my neglect, but 
Whenever I think of somebody who first introduced me to plants, who taught me to love plants even if I'm not good at taking care of them, and who taught me to take care of them just a little bit better than I had been, I think of my friend Renee. Renee and I met in college, and we instantly bonded over our love for the world and our love of photography. But the thing that we did most often together in those early days was dumpster dive. I had come from uh, some activist work on the border of Mexico where we were under-resourced and um, very green, and a lot of us uh, would scavenge resources from wherever we could, and so that was how I learned about dumpster diving. Renee is just one of the most resourceful people I've ever met in my life. Um, she would, uh, at different points in our friendship, variously come home with produce or boots or, you know, any, any kind of uh, useful item that she had found or procured or been given um, or had been abandoned by a squirrel at her feet, and she would always use them and put it to good use, not only with um, just kind of dexterity and ability to see people or see items' usefulness, but with a kind of celebratory joy that this gift had been given and that she got to put it to use and give it back to others. And so Renee and I spent a lot of our early friendship literally inside dumpsters, you know, sifting through produce that had been thrown away by grocery stores or other items that had been deemed worthless, but we saw so much worth in. And the joy on our faces at our ability to scavenge good things from the earth was um, one of the things that really gave me life in a really difficult time of my life. But one of the reasons I think of Renee so much with this passage is that in addition to being somebody who is resourceful and generous and creative, Renee is a gardener. She actually runs some gardens for the city of Chicago now, but she has always been a gardener in her heart. And when we uh, were living together in Chicago, one day she gave me a gift. This was not unusual as you have picked up on by now, I'm sure. Renee is a generous gift-giving person. But she gave me this tiny little burlap sack, and I, it, it said seed bombs on it. And I pulled out a little ball that was this kind of compact little thing, and it clearly had some seeds in it. And I was like, thanks? Um, I don't know if it was like, like a snack, like power balls were really in at the time. I was lifting, I was into protein, you know, maybe that was it. And Renee was like, no, 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 <laughs> Jonah, it's a seed bomb, it's for gardening. And I was like, gardening? We don't, don't usually have those little like packets? And she's like, no, this is for gorilla gardening. And I was like, Renee, only you could turn something like gardening into something hardcore enough to be called guerrilla gardening. But it turns out Renee didn't make it up. This is a whole movement, especially across cities, of people saying, how can we get new life, wildlife, into places where life has been stifled? And they came up with these seed bombs, which are these little compact um, balls of seeds and nutrients and soil that you throw across fences and through buildings, anywhere you can to get to these hard to reach patches of land that maybe could spring up with new life if only your little bomb found a home. This project was about greening the world and reclaiming it for nature and getting life into those hard to reach barren places that had been stripped 
of their natural beauty and power. I remember with at least some of those bombs Renee gave me, throwing them off the roof of our co-op into the fenced-off empty lot next to where we lived. This was an act of trespass. It was subversive, but for life. Previously in my life, I had done a great deal of trespassing, but it was never so that I could sneak plants into places I wasn't supposed to go. And this is fundamentally my image of Jesus, the gardener. Jesus is the one who wants to bring seeds to, the, to all of the places, all of the places we can't think of reaching. Jesus is planting seeds of the kingdom, even if he has to throw it over the fence and into private property and run away giggling with his friends. Jesus isn't just headed for the tilled, prepared, easy-to-reach soil and fertilized ground. Jesus is headed everywhere, throwing the seeds of hope and truth anywhere on the chance that it will take. That random path that the hungry birds keep circling and want to hang out at? Seeds. That dry, rocky patch that just looks like it's super inhospitable? Seeds. That patch with that really aggressive-looking thorn bush? Seeds. Oh, and that top-notch soil over there? Yeah, you get seeds too. Jesus is like this amazing combo of Johnny Appleseed and Oprah Winfrey, just being like, you get a seed, no matter whether you seem qualified, whether you seem prepared, whether you're even interested. But here Jesus is going to issue that invitation no matter what, and you get to decide what you're going to do with it. That refusal uh, of Jesus to offer seeds based on merit, this is the heart of that upside-down concept. That Jesus is not interested in your qualifications, your merit, your worthiness in the eyes of the world. Whether the world has decided you are worth investing in or not, Jesus is giving you the seeds. In fact, Jesus is likely going to start with the path or the rocks or the thorns. It's just his style. But he'll get to it all. Because in the kingdom, where the first are last and the last are first, invitations get extended to all. And Jesus isn't shy about going to the hard places. How else will Jesus bring back the lost sheep, the coin, the child? Trespassing into hostile spaces is Jesus' jam. And it's part of the invitation to be on that team, on that project, in that cultivating space where we say, yes, oh, we, can't, we can't walk there, let's climb there. We can't climb there, let's make a seed bomb and throw it in but we're going to bring the seeds of life wherever life has any potential to spring up, which is everywhere. And so I see Jesus with these seed bombs or his wire cutters saying, come on, urging us to go into unknown territory to plant new life in places that are forgotten or neglected. The gift economy that we've been talking about is built on this, by the way this proactive gift-giving, this seeking out a place to give gifts of life. And Jesus is the first giver of gifts, Jesus who loved us first. One of my tendencies in conflict and struggle is always to aim to get back at the origin. Who started it? It's one of the most persistent questions of faith around evil and sin. Who started it? Is humanity fundamentally flawed? Or is the devil to blame for enticing humanity to sin, a la Eve and the apple? 
Or is God to blame for having made humans flawed in the first place or allowing the devil in the garden? We want to know who started all the bad stuff. But what about the good stuff? In a fight, who is the quickest to forgive? Who showed up with humility? Who offered an olive branch of love or generosity? We know from the teachings and from our experience of God that God is the first one to love, the first to forgive, the first one to kick off a chain of generosity in the gift economy by showing up with the first gifts. And so here comes Jesus with the gift of seeds, of truth, of love, of hope, of the kingdom, long before we have the ability to offer our fruit back as reciprocity. Jesus is coming to give first, to love first. And somehow, that gift never seems to run dry. Jesus always has more to plant, always more to offer. And everything that dies becomes new life. And if we are open to that transformation, there is indeed enough for all. Not in the way we've been taught, not in the hoarding that we have been invited to do by the world, but this is the way that there is enough for all, and this is the way we trade up. That the emptiness of our ridiculous, grass-covered, fake English garden wannabe patchy lawns gets traded in for lush, uncivilized prairies and forests of wildlife teeming with activity, reciprocal in nature, an ecology of life and love, the ways of the kingdom in contrast to the front lawns of the world. This is trading up. This is getting messy to get rich in all the wrong ways. This is the abundance of the kingdom. And so if the kingdom is a little seedling offering that grows into wild and abundant life, how do you receive it? That's the question of this parable. How do you receive the gift that was given first to you? In this parable... Our main character is a farmer or a gardener, a sower, whatever you want to call it. And this is a parable that Jesus gives an explanation for, which is wildly unusual. Jesus explains, the parable means this, the seed is God's word. Now, an aside about the word, the word is, remember, Jesus. Jesus is the word that was spoken into the world before the world began. But the word is also scripture, which is wisdom and storytelling and truth, shared understanding and experience that spans generations. And in other parables, the seed itself is the kingdom. The kingdom is like a mustard seed, for instance, which is a weird metaphor because mustards, uh, mustard bushes were not these great trees. But it was something that grew, not tall like the cedars of Lebanon and great and mighty, but wild and wide. Mustard also had medicinal properties. And so though it wasn't beautiful or tall or mighty, it would grow strong and broad and wide and quickly and then offer its gifts to heal human beings. That parable about the mustard seed, it also talks about the ways that birds would relate to these mustard plants. And so we get this picture of the kingdom, not what you expect, not what humans venerate, not what we think of as mighty, but starting from a tiny seed and growing into something that is uncontainable, offers healing to humanity and friendship to the natural world. 
that seed with a life of its own springing from this tiny, tiny thing. Because in the seed, all of life is contained. But back to Jesus' interpretation of this parable. The seed on the path are those who hear. But then the devil comes and steals the word from their hearts so that they won't believe and be saved. Now before we get too deep into this, I'd like to make an interpretive suggestion here, which we should note is important. Jesus tells a story. Jesus interprets the story. I'm interpreting the interpretation of the story. You will interpret me. That makes no mention of the, the ways that the meaning shifts or closes or opens because of translation of the words from Greek to English or the way that Sarah is interpreting what I'm doing right now from spoken English into ASL. And what I mean to say by that is that anyone who tells you that scripture can be taken literally, not just that it should be taken literally, but even presupposes that it can be taken literally, is fooling themselves. And rather than viewing that as a liability or a drawback with scripture, we need to celebrate that as an intended part of God's gift to us. Human beings are not merely linear or two-dimensional, so why would God be? And why would God's communication to us be that way? The, pl the plurality of meaning, the multiplicity of meaning in the scriptures is part of their power. It's part of the gift. So we need to lean into that, not away, as we accept that any story can contain multiple truths and that everything is an invitation to discover more than its instructions or a fact sheet. So back to my interpretive suggestion. With these patches of land, I want to invite you to perceive this and receive this parable not as a description of different kinds of people, as though there are two kinds of people in the world, the good soil and those who hang their toilet paper under the roll. I want you to think of it more like this, that you are the landscape, are the earth receiving the word of God, and that you contain many types of soil and that sometimes the word hits you in one way, and in another time, another way. And that this parable is an invitation to understand the ways in which you need extra support so that you can receive the gift of life in a way that gives life. So let's run with the first from Jesus. The seed on the path are those who hear, but then the devil comes and steals the word from their hearts so they won't believe and be saved. So let's assume that there are times that you hear the good news, the invitation into a different kind of being, that you receive the closeness of the Jesus who loves you, but you receive it in a setting where you are exposed and vulnerable to all kinds of truth-stealing evil. And so it never really makes its way into your being in fact, it kind of glances right off of you. It becomes rumor, an idea, a nice story someone told. But it's not real. Perhaps you received the seeds of hope and generosity. You were taught to share and be trusting. But the scarcity of the world around you and the logic of never enough told you to accumulate and hoard, to build yourself up first and worry about others later. And so that openness and abundance of the kingdom was just snatched right off of you by the circling hawks of capitalism. 
Or perhaps the seeds of universal power and worthiness were offered to you so that you heard that all around you the beauty of the world was made of difference. But the structures of hierarchy and evil snapped you back to the so-called reality of social order, where some are more worthy than others and will always be treated as such. And so the truth of the breadth and power of God's good creation became a myth as those seeds were snatched up by the crows of racism and misogyny and ableism and all forms of oppression. Or perhaps you heard that beautiful story that you were loved fully by God, truly and deeply, and you wanted so badly for that to be true. But you were in a church that implied that that wasn't really quite true, not for you, not exactly as you are. And so the truth that you were infinitely loved and held and delighted in was snatched away from you before it could even feel real by the vultures of a fallible church. When were the moments that your open, exposed ground had the word of God, the truth of the kingdom, the power of love snatched away from you by the powers of evil in the world before they could even become real? What protection does your soil need and deserve so that you have the shelter to protect you from the forces of evil trying to rob you of God's truth? The seeds fallen on the path need protection so that they can take root, become real, create life before the undermining voices of evil can leave the path lifeless. Otherwise, the good news is nothing but rumor, a fairy tale, and it can never become real in us. Onto the rocky ground. Jesus says, The seed on the rock are those who receive the word joyfully when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but fall away when they are tempted. This passage, this line in this passage makes me think of someone I knew not too well, but really treasured, um, a classmate of mine in high school named Matt. Now, Matt was really popular, and he was on a lot of sports, and he got along with everybody, but he really ran with one particular clique. And every August on our mission trip at church, he had these new revelations he felt his heart broken open by the gospel and by a community in his youth group that was really different than his community at school. And every year in August, he had these, these mountaintop moments of understanding and of joy. And he started paying attention to less popular kids. And he offered his life to his faith. And he said, I'm going to start anew. And by every October things were pretty much back to status quo. Now, it's easy to hear that story and feel cynical about Matt to say that his revelation wasn't real. But I believe it was. I believe that he found Jesus every August and that he forgot by October. 
he felt that joy and received it gladly. And that is to be celebrated. His openness at every, every time he received the word of God, his openness and joy is worth celebrating. But it wasn't able to take root in him. But again, this is not a type of person. Matt is not that type of person. I just saw Matt have that particular experience. But we all, from my, my interpretive standpoint, have this within us. That there are elements of God's truth that come as revelations to us, perhaps over and over again. But they never take root. And so we forget what are the elements of God's truth that function in your life this way, that you receive with joy, but just seem never to take hold in your being? How can you dwell with them, cultivate them, give them roots so you don't forget? What is one, one truth? Just think about it right now. Write it in comments if you want to be so bold. One truth of God's word God's kingdom way that you want, that you want to believe, but it just never seems to take. Do you need to spend time in study or prayer? Do you need to meditate or write or draw about it? Do you need a friend to keep asking you about it? Whatever it is, we need to find a way to let the word and truth of God take root in us so that our joy isn't temporary and fading, that we don't have a shallow reception of that truth, but that it really takes hold in our lives. On to the thorns. Jesus says, As for the seed that fell among thorny plants, these are the ones who, as they go about their lives, are choked by the concerns, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit never matures. This one feels especially tragic to me because it's not even that the soil isn't ready. The conditions are there, the seeds take root, and something springs up. But the external environment, it's too toxic, it's too different, it's too hostile, it's too foreign to the gospel, and eventually it gets choked out, withers, and dies. These are the truths that we know. These are the truths that we know perhaps deep in our being, and yet we do not live them out. We do not allow them to transform us, to grow up, to bear fruit, because the life we are leading has no room for that truth, for the fullness of God's grace in that particular way. And our call here, in those areas of our life where we are thorny, get out your shears. We need to cut away at the things that choke out the eternal life in us. We need room for the gospel to breathe, to breathe new life into us, to grow. And that means shearing away anything that causes death. That pruning is not going to be pretty or easy. But if we want to be transformed, it's essential. What are the things that you need to cut away in your life? That you need to get rid of, to make room for the gospel to actually bear fruit so that it doesn't get choked out by the hostile, toxic environment, but has room 
to grow and provide something really different than the thorns that you're used to. And finally, Jesus says, the seed that fell on good soil are those who hear the word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart. Through their resolve, they bear fruit. And just as we are all on the path with birds that snatch away our truth, and just as we are all in the rocks with that joy that springs up but never takes root and so withers, and just as we have thorny patches, all of us, that choke out the truth before it can bear fruit, we also all have good soil, parts of us that are already eager, aligned, thirsty, yearning for the kingdom, parts of us that are naturally in sync with the way that God made things to be. When God says that the kingdom is here and not yet, Jesus says the kingdom is in you. This is the part of us that intuitively gets it, that recognizes the kingdom when it's at work. And it may be different for each of us. For instance, the part of me that is, was good soil from the start was not the part of me related to gardening or wildlife. That's Renee. Renee was naturally aligned with the ecology of the world, with the beauty of the cosmos through living things. That was something I had to learn. I had to cut away some toxic, thorny nonsense. I had to give it room to root into my soul. I had to bat away the doubts and pressures that made me feel like it wasn't important. And now I have learned to appreciate the natural world. But it wasn't natural in me. That's Renee's good soil. Some of the good soil in me, I was born with a passion for justice. I was keyed in to the way things ought to be and the way things ought not to be with regard to fairness and equality. Those were things that I was concerned with from when I was a little kid. And so I want to hear from you all in comments. What are the parts of your soil that are naturally keyed into the kingdom? What are the things that come most naturally to you? And what are the things that need cultivating? The soil that needs tending to? What are the places that you have had to work to receive the fruits of your spiritual practice? Has pruning made you more patient in a way that you were not naturally inclined? Has meditation or depth given you more presence, made all, your whole life less shallow and rocky, but given you roots as you've rooted your spiritual practice? Has discovering the gospel in a new way made you more radical or opened you up to a different kind of being? How has your soil produced fruit? Because I can guarantee you that though your good soil may have produced fruit the fastest or the easiest, that God can and does produce fruit from all types of soil. One commenter relative to this passage said, that crops that survived the weeds, the thorns, the path, or the rock may provide stronger, more durable seed for growing in all types of situations. And that's beautiful too. How do we cultivate the soil we have? What protection do we need from those circling birds? What cultivation do we need in that shallow, rocky soil? And what pruning do we need from those thorns? 
however the truth springs up in you. We need to treat it with the same kind of tenderness and love as the gardener who gave us those seeds. And we hope to be just as generous with the fruit that that seed produces. The invitation is through our entire landscape. And to step out of my interpretation here for just a moment into another, can we think of the whole world this way? That there are places in the world where the kingdom does get snatched up pretty quickly, or it fails to take root in the shallow, rocky soil, or there are thorns choking the life out of us. But there are also parts of our world, of our communities, that are made of good soil, that are ready, that are hungry or thirsty, that receive the word, let it take root and bear fruit. How do we tend to the whole of our ecology? in ourselves, in one another, and in the world. This is the challenge of the parable of the sower. Will you pray with me? Cosmic gardener, we pray that you would give us the same hope and diligence and generosity to scatter the seeds of your truth everywhere we go to know that there are places in ourselves and in our world that are most receptive, but that your truth has power wherever, and your generous spirit calls us to offer that truth to all of our parts and all of our communities. God, may you spring up. May you teach us to be thoughtful gardeners, to prune and water and cultivate, to protect and nurture and nourish, and to allow the life that you have planted in us to bear fruit that we can share with the world and with our gardener. Amen.